Welcome to Armenia by the Glass podcast. My name is Elaine Kasabian and my guest for this episode eight is Caroline Gilby, Master of Wine. Caroline is a wine writer specializing in Central and Eastern Europe. She's the author of The Wines of Bulgaria, Romania and Moldova and contributes to Hugh Johnson's pocket wine book, The Oxford Companion to Wine and The World Atlas of Wine. She holds a doctorate in plant biology, and in 2021, she wrote an essay about Zora Winery's old vines in Armenia for the Janice Robinson writing competition. Caroline has also written about Armenia for decanter.com. We chat about how Caroline was introduced to Zora Wines by Alberta Antonini. We chat about her trips to Armenia and her taking part in the half marathon known as the Vineyard Trail in the mountains of the Vyatzor region. We also talk about her climb out Mount Ararat. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. It was an absolute pleasure talking with Caroline. Hello, Caroline. Thank you very much for joining me today. I was delighted when you agreed to be my guest. You are an MW, a wine writer and author specializing in Central and Eastern Europe, and with regard to Armenia, you've been there, you've tried their wines, you've written about it. And recently you wrote about the old vines in the Vyadzor region. So before we start chatting about Armenia and its wines, it'd be great if you could tell the listeners a bit about yourself. Hi, everybody. My name's Caroline Gilby. I've been a master of wine since 1992. And for people that don't know, Master of Wine is a globally recognised qualification in uh, the understanding of wine, all aspects of it, really, from viticulture and winemaking to wine handling and bottling to marketing. And also you have to pass um, three tasting exams, three blind tasting exams where you assess different styles of wine and show your understanding of, of the styles of wine and quality and, and so on. So um, yes, and over the last few years, I've developed a specialism in writing particularly about uh, former Eastern Europe, and that includes the Balkans and also touches on some of the uh, former Soviet republics like Armenia and Moldova and so on. So totally fascinating part of the world, I have to say. And what made you um, specialise in Eastern Europe and uh, the Caucasus? I kind of started back in my very early days in the wine trade when in the late 80s, Eastern European wines were really big in the UK, so particularly Bulgaria, but also you know, Romania, Yugoslavia and so on. And um, my first job in the wine trade was as a junior buyer for a chain of wine shops called Augustus Barnett, long since disappeared. As the most junior member of the team, that my first buying responsibility was the important but not very glamorous Eastern Europe. Well, more senior people kept champagne and burgundy and, and so on. So I kind of cut my teeth in, in wine with Eastern Europe just about the time the Iron Curtain was starting to come down. So when a few years later, Tom Stevenson asked me if I would write about Eastern Europe for a book he was starting called The Wine Report, it was kind of an obvious, you know, I couldn't say no to that really. And, you know, I had that sort of 
perspective of how it was before the Iron Curtain came down. So I've kind of followed the complete revolution in winemaking ever since, really. Right. You mentioned that um, Eastern European wines were um, quite a fashion in the 80s. What was the reason for that? Well, I mean, if you really want to go into detail, I wrote a book on this. (laughs) No, I was just interested. (laughs) I wrote a book about the wines of Bulgaria, Romania and Moldova. Um, which was published, well, three years ago now, just over. Um, And that's one of the stories I wanted to explore is why those wines became so successful and then what happened. And one of the reasons why they could be so successful, one was Bulgaria particularly, I think, led the way in setting standards. So their quality standards were actually pretty good and very carefully controlled by the state. Um, And they had big vineyards so they could deliver very consistent wines so you could buy. And you couldn't buy that that kind of thing in Western Europe at that time because everything was very fragmented. So there were these vast vineyards with row upon row of, say, Cabernet Sauvignon in this warm climate. So you've got these good value, fruity, varietally labelled wines that just really appealed to the market at, at that time. And um, and then, of course, you know, Romania came along with the idea of Pinot Noir as a speciality. Um, Hungary, I started to buy from Hungary fairly early in the 90s because I was looking for white wines to go with the, the Bulgarian wines that were mostly, mostly red. Um, so, yes, very fascinating. But then, of course, privatisation, land restitution um, and so on completely destroyed everything and it took years to get over right and at that time mm. Armenian wasn't in terms of winemaking wasn't even on the map it was cognac well, it wasn't was, because, cognac yeah, was, it was, was on the map but not wine yeah because it was a designated brandy producer so yeah it was very yeah. much an afterthought <laughs> yes so what in what how how did you come across Armenia when did you first discover they were actually making wine and Actually, good wine. It was it was 2011, really, that was the turning point for me because I met uh, Zurich and I knew his wine consultant really well, Alberto Antonini. Um, and you know, I have a really high regard for Alberto, and so you know, he introduced me to this client, and I thought, oh, yes. could be interesting if Alberto is involved here. That's something interesting. And then I was persuaded and I re- re- nearly didn't go because it was really difficult to squeeze in a trip between, to Armenia right. in between quite a lot of other things I was doing in 2011. And I was so glad I went because, um, and it was specifically really to see Zora. Um, and it was just such a complete revelation because, you know, it was a country that, you know, former Soviet Republic, but with its own history and culture and great varieties and stunning scenery and um, just it was just jaw-droppingly exciting as a trip and a discovery of a of a new country. And I was lucky enough to be there. You know, I was the first sort of outsider to get to taste uh, Zora's new wines. So he had the 2010 vintage in his little garage winery at that point. So I was the first outsider to taste that, which again was an absolute, you know, it was uh, it was one of those magical moments in my wine life, really. Oh, 
was that the I was was that um the Areni wine was it made of Areni the Areni grape it was yes so at that point you know the wine hadn't been bottled and there was uh he'd made three well he'd made one wine but matured it in three different ways so there was stainless steel there was the first use of the little clay carass yes um and some armenian oak as well so again it was really fascinating to see what this grape could do in these different different vessels and particularly the wine in the carass just was um just was so special you know it really sang there was an elegance to it and a purity of flavor and really beautifully textured tannins from the clay so I think you know that was a remember Zorik's <laughs> face you know waiting for for the verdict on this wine that he Aww. hadn't shown to anybody outside at that point so um yeah um, and, you know, he was, oh, my God, what if it's not good? Uh, but it was good. <laughs> so. I love their wines. Yeah, yeah. I do. Wonderful. And they're such lovely people, Zorik and Yeraz. And um, this is an Oshin who came on the Ararat trip that I think we, we might talk about in a minute. So, uh, yeah. yeah, lovely people, lovely wines, beautiful setting. What's not to like? And have you since tried other um wine armenian wines made of other grapes yes i have um i went back so i've been back a couple of times and and actually my most recent trip when i went to run the uh, vineyard trail marathon um i also arranged to have a, a you know with wines of armenia to have yes. a visit around the country and and uh, meet a number of other wineries, visit a number of other wineries, explore some of the other grape varieties. So, you know, there's some amazing grapes in Armenia that have pretty much been forgotten for a long time, I think, in the face of brandy production. But there's some some fantastic stuff. Yes. Yeah. Say Voskia, Chila, Sireni, um, Hatun Haji, um, Hagtanak. Yes. Um, you know some some cracking stuff but as, among the whites I really have, do have a soft spot for Voskiat I have to say. Mm, me too I have to confess that. <laughs> Tell me about your recent trip is that when you did the half marathon? It is yes because I've been saying for years because I'm a keen runner it's how I have kept the wine trade at bay for for so many years because I discovered very quickly after passing my master of wine that when you visit wineries, they want to share the best of their wines with the best possible food to share their wines off in the best light. So you end up eating and drinking quite a lot. Yes. So I took up running and never looked back, <laughs> really. So I'm a keen runner. And I know when they started the half marathon, um, I'd said for years I would go and I could never fit it in. And then that particular year whichever year it was 2014 I think I'm just looking for my race certificates on the wall here um <laughs> yeah sorry 2019 it was um so I actually managed to squeeze it in between other pieces of work and um but you know it just seemed such a great opportunity to go and explore further afield in in Armenia as well because you know I've been tasting wines when I I got the opportunity but there's nothing like being there and meeting the people that are shaping the wines and you know really getting your hands dirty feeling the dirt and and seeing the landscape to get a real feel for the soul of a 
a wine country. And that was in the Vietzor Mountains, wasn't it? Yes. 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 So you start at like 1,500, 1,600 metres and obviously if you come from the UK, it's quite thin for us Brits when you get up there. And I was pretty fit, I thought, but, you know, the first mile or so I was like, (gasps) my lungs were going, what have you done to us? What happened to the air? (laughs) And then I kind of got into the swing of it and plodded on and, uh, yeah, such a beautiful setting for a race, just stunning. And uh, I finished second female, so it was brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. So highly recommended if you enjoy an off-road run in beautiful scenery um, with a great, you know, great party atmosphere when you finish and some some nice areni to to recover with. (laughs) Highly recommended. Um, You wrote an article, an essay actually, for the 2021 Janice Robinson um, essay competition, and that was on the old vines in the Vietzor region. Can you can you tell me a bit about that? What inspired you to write that? Yes. Well, I've always been fascinated by um, indigenous grape varieties and their, their stories. And the story, I think, of how these Areni vines were so remote that, you know, they escaped being ripped up and, and standardised into the sort of the raw material for the brandy industry and the fact that this region is so remote and so high and so, you know, dry in the summer means that there's no phylloxera, which is this vine eating, um, it's a louse, a relative of a, a green fly or an aphid that basically destroyed the European wine industry in the late, in the late 19th century early 20th century so there are very few places where there are genuinely old vines that have um you know that go back hundreds of years and uh, so this you know a reni is is a rare thing you know that you can genuinely find wines that are vines that are more than a century old um, in these remote corners of the country where they've been forgotten about and um but there's a something about old vines that produces the best quality fruit. So, uh, you know, if you find somebody that's got those kind of really old vines, it's it's always really special. And that vineyard is just this sort of higgledy piggledy mass of vines scrambling over rocks, and it's just a really special place. So I thought, and it was a, a writing competition about old vines so it was a kind of obvious fit really that I wanted to tell that story and to talk about Armenia because you know so much has changed in the last few years and nobody really knows about it yet message to get out there yes the intention of this podcast is to uh try and get that message out there so with this um the the vines that were in this vineyard are those ones that Zora uses for his wines, or is that a, is that just a separate separate vineyard? Yes, no. There is uh, the his top Areni Yeraz, which you know means dream, as well as being the yes. name of his wife. 
is from these very old uh, old ancient vines. And um, I went with Zurich and Oshin to climb Mount Ararat to launch the wine back in 2014. So I feel very connected to it for many reasons. In fact, I wanted to ask you about your climb up Mount Ararat. You know, it's very iconic for Armenians. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a fantastic experience because it's it's pretty much a spiritual journey for an Armenian. Um, and I know Zorik had wanted to do it for a long time, and, but Yeraz came up with the idea of actually yeah. putting a group together of like-minded people who might want to uh, want to do this, this challenge together. So um, they asked me if I would join. And because Zorik was taking his son, I took my son as well because they were similar age. And then a couple of winery um owners from switzerland joined us and yeah so we had a nice little group but obviously with the politics you know the logistics of getting there and finding the right guides is is quite challenging because we ended up driving across armenia into georgia back across georgia and then into turkey so you know it takes about three and a half hours to get to the foot of Mount Ararat that way because you can't just cross the border, sadly. Um, so that in itself was, you know, quite a fascinating voyage. We had a yeah. Kurdish family as our guides up the mountain, which we did over over several days. And, um, yeah, very dramatic. Sadly, I didn't make it all the way to the top because I got altitude sickness. But I was still pleased that you know I was part of the adventure and you know Zurich and and Oshin got to the top so and launched the wine there so that was really important oh yeah and the the last bit is quite difficult isn't it because I think you have to wake up in the middle of the night yes. and climb up in the dark so it, it's it's not the easiest is that is yeah and it it's funny how out I mean if altitude sickness can take people even if you're really fit which I probably was the fittest in the party but by 4,200 meters the camp before the summit I could barely walk across the campsite to get a Gosh. so you know there was no way I was going any further but, uh, and we planted a couple of areni vines symbolically on the on the side oh that's wonderful I didn't know that that's wonderful <laughs> we did yes I have pictures of them being ceremonially put into the ground I mean they're probably eaten by goats or sheep quite quickly but you know we <laughs> that's tried. okay yeah absolutely <laughs> that is wonderful it's a little bit of Armenia on the yes exactly the mountain. <laughs> and they drank Armenian wine at the top so that's that's brilliant yes absolutely yeah <laughs> we did so and so, um, so coming back to Armenia um have you been to the Arani cave um I and what did you think of it well the first time I went was on my first visit back in 2011 and I went with Boris Gasparian who was one of the uh, lead researchers from the Armenian side and have to say, I find it an absolutely, I mean, it's a spine tingling place to visit, really, when you stand there surrounded yes. by, you know, 6,000 year old evidence of wine being at the heart of human ritual, you know, because you've got these great presses, you've got these, these um, clay jars that look like Karas today, 
all surrounded by grave caskets and the you know the amazing preservation in that cave and some of the stories that might go around um, what was happening at that time. Um, but the key bit being that people were making wine deliberately. It was definitely wine and it was definitely at a time of human ritual. Um, yeah, so, yeah, very spine-tingling place to be early human interactions with wine. Some people say that the discovery of the Irony Cave was what you know helps to put Armenia on the map in terms of the wine a wine making country. I mean I think it's really important part of building Armenia's credibility as a wine country. Because it's it's had to go from in terms of modern winemaking, you know, 10 years ago there was Thora. And there was nothing else. Everything else I tasted at that point was, you know, there was pretty dodgy stuff. But, you know, 10 years on, there's some amazing wines being made by a whole raft of different producers. Yes. And recently, there's lots of them. Lots of you keep seeing, I keep seeing it on social media, lots of new wines coming out, which is great. I mean, there seems to be a great wine scene out there. Yes, I mean, it's really developed so much um, since over the last 10 years, you know, because you've got to have, I mean, you've got to have, yeah, you've got to have great wines. You've got to have an interesting story, great people. Well, Armenia's got all that. Um, and then you have to develop a, a culture. It really helps if people in your domestic market understand what you're trying to do, because if you're fighting yeah. against that you know, you're fighting to create a space for exports um, against a whole world of people who've been doing it for a lot longer than you have. It right. is hard. Though I do think the Armenian diaspora is hope, you know, there are there are more, as I understand it, many more Armenians all over the world than there are actually in Armenia. So hopefully the Armenian diaspora is proud of what's being made now and will enjoy drinking it and share it with their friends too. Exactly. And especially when they go there, when they go back there and they see that wine culture and they see all those different wines, they can take that knowledge back, you know, yeah. back to the US or the UK and make a choice back home or back, back in the US or wherever to drink Armenian wines you know, that at, at least Armenians themselves can make that demand um, and create that demand for Armenian wines. Yes, one would hope so. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no, and there's no need to be um, falsely patriotic, really, because no. they're great, you know, they're, they're, they are worth drinking. Um, so Absolutely. In, there's no need for people to be apologetic about drinking Armenian wine because the wines are great. Exactly. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Have you seen even recently a change in the wine culture and the production in Armenia? Yes, very much so. I mean, say the sort of what was available 11, 12 years ago was inconsistent to to say the least but now you know there are so many great people really trying hard to make high quality wine with the local grape varieties and rescuing things that have been forgotten and um, you know it's also great to see some of the you know ex Armenian expats coming back and reinvesting in their home country and 
know, wine's an obvious thing to invest in because it's something that Armenia can do that is special and has a real sense of sense of place and can be, you know, an authentic signature for um for the for the country. Um so that's um that's really great to see. Um and the culture, you know, the food and wine, you can there are wine bars appearing in Yerevan and restaurants and yes. you know better hotels you need you need somewhere to actually be able to lay your head with and if you want to encourage yes. you know people to visit from other countries that needs to be at a certain standard I suppose mm-hmm. um yes. so that's changing I think the roads have got better <laughs> yes. some of the potholes <laughs> so it's a little bit easier to get around the country um, so uh so yes I, I would say I've seen a lot of changes and do you think it's comparable to um other wine producing countries in the Caucasus and Balkans oh well one of the things that I've found really fascinating about writing about this part of the world is we're quite guilty in Western Europe of seeing everything as a sort of homogeneous grey Soviet Eastern Bloc and that everything was the same and everything was cheerless and concrete. And what has come out of that, um, and one of the reasons I really like writing about these countries, is that they've all come out with their own culture and their own identities, their own grape varieties. Um, And I feel that wine is a great lens to look at a culture through because it kind of brings together, it brings together the landscape, the climate, the soils, but it also brings in the culture of the people that are shaping it, what they've chosen to grow and how they've chosen to make it. So I'd say, you know, there are some similarities in the way that Armenia has come out of that Soviet era and and started afresh, but it's come out as a very distinctive and unique place. Yes. Do you think it could do anything more to distinguish itself? Um, I think, you know, it's not rocket science in some ways with um, with mm. building a reputation. You've just, you've got to basically tell people and show people and keep telling them and keep showing them. Um, and unfortunately, that means spending some money on being at wine fairs and doing tastings and organising press trips and, yes. um, you know, finding that money is sometimes quite hard. Um, but I think, you know, getting people to see Armenia, you know, then they're, they're going to fall in love with it if they go there, as I did. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's what I think it comes down to, getting the word out there is... Because, you know, the more you can show it to people, the more chance you have that people will write articles or will list the wines. Um, and it, it it takes time um, and money. Yes, it does. I mean, you can see that with the Georgian wines, can't you? Um, they have, just before Christmas, I attended a Georgian um, wine uh, event. Um, it was really well received. And you can see now quite a few Georgian wines being reviewed in uh, in the newspapers here. So, you know, they they seem to have gone to that next level of, I think, um, spending money yes. and um, doing the PR. Yes, Georgia's done a very good job, I would say, of, of building their PR 
and they've been doing it for a number of years yes. now. Yes, um, they, they do just... have a few years under their belt, don't they? Yep. Yes, I mean, gosh, I went on a press trip there in, what, 2010? So, um, yeah. Um, but, yes, there's a need to keep keep on keep getting the message out there because I think people are interested in this part of the world because they've done they've done the new world which is all copies and interpretations of the old world they've done the old world there's nothing new to discover so (laughs) you know eastern Europe and the Caucasus and the Balkans are still quite unknown to most drinkers in the west so if you're a writer or a sommelier or a buyer who's looking for the next big story but that has is built on an authentic history and has a real point of difference, then it's an absolute treasure trove to hunt around this part of the world. Yes. But, and they've you've got, but we've still got to build their confidence. You know, there were so many years where quality wasn't good coming out of yeah. this part of the world. It's there is a question of rebuilding confidence and showing people that the wines are genuinely exciting. They are good quality and they're consistently good quality. Yes. Again, time and money. Time and money, yes. <laughs> yeah. so, um, you said you fall in love with Armenia. When is your next trip? Next trip? <laughs> oh, that's a very good question. Travels <laughs> ground to a halt very much over the last couple yeah. of years. So, yes. So, sadly, I'm not quite sure at the moment. Yeah. But, yeah be very happy to go back whenever I get the chance <laughs> is there a particular place you want to see in Armenia is is there something you thought oh I wish I went and uh, or are you just going out there to you'd be happy to go and just discover yeah happy to go and just discover really I mean there's so much to see in every corner of the country really I mean I loved going over the Armenian highlands on our our trip to to the Georgian border and just seeing you know, part of Armenia that you wouldn't really yes. see on a walking trip normally. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, I'm open to exploring. <laughs> a friend of mine did a lot, um, who's an ecologist, did a lot of work trying to help set up a national park in Armenia. Um, and I must check with it whether it actually happened or not. But oh, yes. Going and seeing some of the nature, because um, I'm a botanist originally wildflowers and, and so on having a bit more time to have a have a look at the wildflowers would be good yeah that would be wonderful well caroline thank you very much for your time today it's been a pleasure speaking with oh, you well thank you thank you for asking me as you can tell i'm quite enthusiastic to have the opportunity to share the word about armenia and armenian wines so for all you listeners out there go and get some armenian wine in your glass you won't regret it <laughs> <laughs> absolutely thank you Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode. But in the meantime, check out my blog, armeniabytheglass.com for articles, interviews and tasting reviews of Armenian wines.